So welcome everyone uh, to this edition of CRE 101. Uh, for those of you who don't know a little bit about the group, we've been having meetings since the beginning of this year and just inviting speakers to come on to talk about various different commercial real estate topics, um, ranging from all different property types. And so the purpose of this overview uh, was just to kind of highlight some of the top lessons we've learned this year from those speakers. And then at the end, we kind of want to open it up to just more of an open discussion on some of the lessons you guys have learned in 2020 and how we can, we can apply them to have a even better year in 2021, because uh, we're always seeking to grow and, and expand in the industry. So really high level overview for those of you who guys are new to the to the call or the calls that we've been doing. Uh, really, we, we started a group called Commercial Real Estate 101, where we, we invite speakers from all across the country uh, to talk about commercial real estate topics. And really the purpose of the group is to be the go-to resource for people who are interested in learning about the many facets of commercial real estate. Uh, we want to attract professionals in the commercial real estate industry, business owners, and really anyone who has any interest in commercial real estate. That's, that's really what we want to become is the, is the go-to resource for that. Um, some of the timeline of the group uh, as we're doing this year in review is we started uploading videos in April of this year. In May, we started broadcasting live on Facebook, and we've been slowly growing and expanding our reach across the country, which has been really cool and exciting. Uh, but we look to continue to do that in 2021 and continue to provide awesome and really engaging content related to commercial real estate. So as I mentioned uh, in, in the, the beginning of this call is really what I thought we'd do in today's meeting is highlight some of the top lessons we've learned from this year's speakers. Uh, we've had close to 20 speakers this year uh, talk about a range of different topics uh, really of all the different facets of commercial real estate. So what we'll go ahead and do right now is kind of pick, pick out, you know, some like five or six of the top speakers that I thought really provided a ton of value to the group. We'll highlight some of their top lessons. And like I said, at the end, we'll open it up to the rest of everyone to share some of their lessons from 2021. And I really want to make this into more of a collaborative and, and engaging discussion. So one of our first speakers uh, was actually Jeff Walston from Premise Construction. He's a local uh, commercial construction. Uh, he owns a construction company here in Louisville, Kentucky uh, that specializes in commercial real estate. Uh, he's done a lot of build outs in for Verizons and, and all different types of commercial properties. And so one of the main things that we discussed in the, the, the meeting was the differences between commercial construction and residential construction. And the primary things that we talked about were related to public safety and regulations are, are quite different in a residential setting versus a commercial setting. Uh, when you're talking about public safety uh, in a commercial setting, you may have hundreds, if not thousands of people that go through a property on a yearly basis, which adds on to the different regulations that are tied to that property. Um, there's going to be the ADA you have to deal with, fire marshals, mechanical and structural codes you have to deal with that are going to be much different than a residential setting. And this generally translates into increased prices. So a lot of times when I work with small business owners, that's one of the shocks that they experience because they're like, wow, why is, why is this so expensive to do this particular build out? But in reality, the main reason why is because of that added variable, which is the public. Um, and generally the timelines are, are much longer as many of you guys who are commercial real estate know, agents know. Uh, it just ends up being a longer time frame because you have to pull the permits and whatever else. So that's one of the things we highlighted within that call. Uh, also, when you're dealing with commercial build outs or any type of commercial construction projects, 
uh, really making sure that um, you have the scope of the project done on the front end uh, other, because any changes that you make are going to add to costs. It's going to add to the timeline. So making sure that is all taken care of on the front end is quite important as well. So that's what we talked about. And, and communication it was the high level uh, lesson that we want to learn from that as well. Communication throughout the process is key and crucial. So that was from Jeff Walston for commercial construction. We also hosted Tyler Chesser, who is a, um, a commercial real estate broker, and he also owns a syndication company uh, called uh, uh, CF Capital. Uh, and they specialize in investing in larger multifamily assets in the middle of the country. Uh, and so the purpose of this episode was focused on uh, what is a syndication and how do you structure a syndication and then how do you build awareness to raise funds to invest in large commercial investment projects. Uh, so really the purpose of this is what is a syndication? It's funding, put, pooling money together to buy large assets. And we dived into the different types of syndication funds, both 506B and 506C. Uh, I'm not a SEC lawyer, so I can't go into full detail on exactly what each of those are. Uh, but suffice it to say, the 506B allows you to um, sell securities to accredited investors and up to 35 unaccredited investors, but sophisticated investors. Um, and, oh, sorry. Uh, and that allows you to kind of get your feet wet in, in, in the, in the syndication space, if that's something you're interested in. And that, but 506C, which is what he started is primarily, you can only, you can only actually utilize or, or reach out to accredited investors, but it allows you to market the securities uh, to these individuals. Um, we also talked about what accredited investors are, uh, which means that if you're an individual, you have to make at least two hundred thousand dollars within the last two for, for the last two years. Or if you're joint, uh, I just got back from the grocery store. Oh, sorry. I think Nick was yep muted it. Okay. So as an accredited investor, you would have to make at least $200,000 within the last two years. If you're joint, you have to make at least $300,000 in the last two years. And you have to have reasonably sure that you're going to make that in the, 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 the same years as well. And then your net worth or your net worth has to be at least a million dollars. Um, and one of the things that I think was super beneficial of this episode in particular was building a brand. Because again, in order for someone to want to work with you and, and provide you with funds in order to provide or to invest in commercial investment property, they have to trust you. And so I think what Tyler's done an excellent job of is uh, created a, a podcast called Elevate, where he invites speakers from all different walks of life. Uh, it's one of the top business podcasts uh, in the world right now, actually. Uh, but he's been able to really, really build a strong brand, which has attracted people to him from to, 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 to grow his investment uh, pool, essentially. And so one of the thing, big things he shares with the rest of the audience is start a podcast, get out there, go to meetups, go to conferences, really network with individuals uh, because you never know when that next connection is going to benefit you and whether that's in your career or if you want to start an investment fund or whatever else, that could be a good opportunity for you as well. So those are some of the top lessons we learned from Tyler uh, in his episode uh, for commercial syndication. Number three was um, my, so was related to commercial zoning. Um, for those of you who got, do do a lot of land deals, I'm sure you guys are aware of this, but uh, my, 
my broker here locally in Louisville, he's done a ton of land deals and he was actually on the board for zoning adjustment locally here in Louisville, Kentucky. So he's very well versed in how the zoning process works and all the different hurdles you have to jump through. So one of the things we talked about was what is zoning? Uh, primarily it's put in place in order to maintain property values and to make sure that there's an actual flow of how the city works. Uh, because again, if you, if you own a residential property and all of a sudden next door, they decide to build an industrial plant, that's going to de be a detriment from you for your, uh, for your property values. So in order to control how the, the city's made up, zoning laws were put in place. Um, and he, we talked about from start to finish how to rezone a property here in Louisville. Again, each jurisdiction is going to have its own um, different regulations. So it's important to kind of just get familiar with the land codes in your area. In particular, if you're going to be working with developers or you want to personally buy a property to be able to develop it, uh, it's always really important to understand uh, how to go about that process. Um, and another thing that he talked about, which is super important because he's done, he's working on some development projects as well, is that you have to get a strong team in place from the start. So get a zoning lawyer on your side, in particular, if it's going to be a controversial rezone uh, where, you know, there's, there's going to be multiple parties that have something to say about it, uh, an architect or really anyone who's going to be able to uh, provide you with a plan on how this is going to look so th and have them ready to go so that if any changes come back from these different meetings, they can, you can change quickly and, and resubmit the plan to the city. Uh, and that, those are probably some of the top lessons we learned from this episode from him. Number four is Beth Azor. So Beth is awesome. Uh, she's an uh, uh, investor and broker in Florida, and she specializes in retail investing. And I reached out to her actually via LinkedIn uh, to just kind of have her come on the show uh, to talk a little bit about what she does and, and some of the lessons she's learned along the way. Uh, she actually currently controls roughly about $80 million in uh, retail investment property, primarily shopping centers in uh, Florida. Uh, and so what we talked about uh, to start off with was how is retail doing? Because again, everyone, you read all these headlines, the doom and gloom for the retail industry. Everyone thinks that online is essentially going to take over uh, retail sales. Uh, and so what she usually does, because she speaks all, all across the country, when, when she goes to speak to different individuals in, in these conferences, she poses a question to the audience and says, what percentage of retail sales do you think uh, is related to online? And it ends up being roughly about 8% total in the entire United States. So from a proportionate standpoint, the vast majority of retail is still conducted in a face-to-face -face environment. Now, that's not to say that it's not important to adapt. The businesses need to adapt to the new reality that online is becoming a bigger proportion of, of the retail industry. But it's not as large as the average person would think that online sales is. And so she talked about that concept and, and how retail still has a lot of value. Uh, she did mention about larger shopping malls, you know, the ones that have Macy's, JCPenney's are probably still going to continue to struggle or be repurposed into something that's a little bit more functional for people's uh, use uh, nowadays. But she did also mention that given everything that's been going on with COVID, a lot of retail concepts have been looking to move to the Sun Belt. She's been super busy. I think at the time we spoke, she had 11 LOIs on, on the different shopping centers that she had, which is more than she's ever had before. Uh, so she's interested to see if this trend continues. Uh, I'm sure some people in the audience from New York City can maybe uh, clarify that a little bit at the end of this uh, to see how the retail industry is doing and what they think 2021 is going to look like on that, on that front. 
Um, and then another lesson that she mentioned was related to uh, price per square foot. Uh, it's, di it's directly proportional to the sales that you can command in that area. Uh, so if it's, if it's an area that has high traffic counts, uh, great demographics, and, and can justify a high sales volume, then you can charge more for the rent. Uh, so when you're identifying uh, retail properties to invest in, that's something you need to consider, uh, in particular, if you're representing someone who wants to buy retail investment property. Uh, and then the important, important metrics to look out for, traffic counts, demographics, access, and visibility. Uh, and then she also mentioned that drive-throughs uh, are going to become ever more popular uh, now with everything that's been going on. And she did also mention, I'm sure some of you guys can uh, clarify this as well, but she thinks that long-term, the bank uh, uh, branches are going to slowly go away. And more and more restaurant concepts are going to be adopt or moving into these old bank branches in order to essentially repurpose bank branches into a different concept. And so that was pretty interesting to hear from her. Uh, so those are some of the top lessons we learned from her. And again, I, I think it's a great episode. You guys should definitely check out. Now, this is actually something that uh, I didn't know about until relatively recently, I'd say about a year, a year and a half. Uh, and that is the Small Business Development Center. And I'm sure some of you guys can speak to this as well. But the Small Business Development Center is a branch of the small bit. Well, it's, it's related to the Small Business Administration in that they provide resources to small business owners free of charge. So we had David Etkin, who's the head of the Small Business Development Center here in, in, in Kentucky, come on, on on the meetup and discuss the various different services that they offer. Um, and so one of the things that I think is really awesome that they do is that they work with small business owners to seek financing, uh, primarily SBA financing. So I'm actually working with a client right now that's, that's going through uh, the SBA uh, process and they're helping her write her business plan. They're helping her compile all the financial data that she needs and really just create an application that's, that banks are going to look at and say, okay, this is a great, this is a, this is a great opportunity. And they, they've actually financed their concept. So if you have, uh, business owners that you work with or represent, this is an inner, I mean, I, I, I couldn't stress enough how, how helpful they have been throughout the process for a various number of my clients. Um, so that's something also to consider as well. They, but they don't just help brand new businesses as well. They also help individuals who have owned a business for quite some time, but they're looking to build the systems in order to scale to the next level, whether that's franchising or, um, Again, a lot of these individuals that work at the Small Business Development Center themselves are entrepreneurs and they've owned multiple businesses. So they can provide the, uh, the expertise or the, the background in order to advise them on how they can grow and scale their business. And small business in, in um, small business itself is, is kind of misleading because I think they work with businesses up to $35 million in sales or... 1,500 employees. So most businesses fall in line as a small business. So if you do have clients that you work with or anyone that you think could gain value from it, it's definitely valuable uh, to kind of reach out to your local small business development center. And they're in all 50 states. Uh, so definitely, it, it's a, I think it'd be a value uh, to just reach out to them locally. So, all right. So we have two more that we're going to talk about and then we'll hop into... Uh, a discussion with everyone else. So Barry Wolf, I actually met him via LinkedIn as well. Um, he is an associate of, or not associate, but he's a, he, he, he knows uh, Beth Azor. 
Um, and he specializes in retail investment sales in Southern Florida. Uh, he is a wealth of, has a wealth of knowledge in the sector. And so what we invited him on the, the call to discuss was single tenant net lease investments. Uh, so really what he focuses on is those credit tenants, you know, the Starbucks the uh, Taco Bells, really any type of large franchise or concept is, is he's has, he deals with. Uh, and so one of the things that he talked about in the call that was kind of enlightening is that prior to the call, I didn't know that there are that certain concepts are corporately backed, like Starbucks, for example, are primarily corporately backed, but something like a Taco Bell or Burger King or various other, some of these other concepts are franchise based. So you could have a, a Taco Bell that's corporately backed, and that's going to be completely different than a Taco Bell that maybe has a franchisee that owns three locations. They're going to have different variables you have to consider before prior uh, before you actually purchase the, that investment and so we talked about that that not all tenants are created equal and as you're analyzing these types of properties you got to analyze the credit risk you got to look at the store sales you got to look at the financials uh, you got to look to see if they're a franchisee if they're a franchisee how many locations do they have what's their balance balance sheet look like do have they over leveraged are they trying to expand too rapidly uh, if they're corporately back leases, then they're, they're probably going to have a little bit more, less risk, but you got to think about these things as you're going through and analyzing these types of opportunities. He also mentioned it's a multivariate analysis in that what happens if they leave? So if you're, if you're planning on holding these properties for 20 plus years or however long your entire lifetime, there's a pretty good chance that that tenant may or may not be around at that time frame. So what happens when they leave? Uh, what, what's, what rental rate do they currently have? Can you re replicate that rental rate if you, you know, if they decide to leave in 20 years? Uh, these are all considerations you have to consider before you actually make the investment. Uh, and when you're, when you're making these types of investments, don't just look at the name, understand that the real estate itself still matters. Because if you were to buy, let's say a, a retail investment, a single tenant at least uh, opportunity, and they're charging $25 a square foot for that investment, but it's in a really good location. And then let's say they leave in 20 years and now you can charge 30 or 40 or 50 a square foot. That's a really unique opportunity for you to add value to the building. And that's a better investment opportunity for you long-term than it would be to buy, let's say a 2000 square foot Starbucks that's paying 55 a square foot. But as soon as they leave, you can only command at $30 a square foot in rent or just as, as an example. Uh, so these are all things you need to consider prior to buying single tenant at least investment property. And then finally, you talked about sale and leasebacks for business owners. Um, for, for the, I'm sure a lot of you guys have, have known the strategy, but essentially what it is, is if you're a business owner that owns your own real estate, you can sell your property to an investor, sign a long-term lease, and then use that money to expand your business operations. Uh, this is very common he says in a lot of ways where people are looking to expand rapidly, where they maybe want to concept and they own three three restaurants and now they want to kind of franchise it out and expand uh this is a good opportunity for them to sell their property get that capital infusion and store that within their business so and then finally uh we actually just recently had uh beth or i'm sorry elaine nunn on our call uh i want to say a week or two ago uh but elaine is a wealth of knowledge as well. She is a business broker locally. Uh, she's a partner at Impact Acquisition, uh, which is a uh, M&A firm here. They, they deal with businesses in this region, uh, the Midwest primarily, uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee, Illinois, et cetera. 
Um, and so when we talked, what we focused our attention in this, this call on business brokerage. So what do you look for when you're looking to buy an existing business? And to start the call, we actually analyzed the pros and cons of starting a business versus buying a business. And the, the big downside with buy or starting a business is that 50% of businesses fail within the first five years. So you're, you're kind of taking a risk and saying that, you know, I'm betting on myself that I can make this business work, but it's not a guarantee. In the case of buying a business, yes, it's a larger capital infusion. However, you're buying a cash flow, you're buying systems, you're buying an organization, you know, you're buying, you're buying the people involved in the organization that has made it successful for a longer period of time. And so it can be a very good opportunity for someone who has extra capital that they want to deploy and receive some cash flow from, from these businesses. Uh, whenever you're going to buy a business similar to real estate, you need to be very careful in your due diligence process, even more so I imagine on a business side, because there's a lot more moving parts. Uh, when we did talk about the acquisition of the business, uh, we focused on various different topics, which were related to finances, financials. So you want to look at the PL statements, the balance sheets, account receivables. Uh, you want to pull in, uh, all legal documents, whether that's leases, vendor agreements, employee contracts, uh, organizational uh, risks are, are a factor as well. So you want to look at the depth chart or the organizational chart, uh, the leadership in place, and who can help you during the transition period. Because again, you may not be an expert in that business yet. So in order for you to get up on, off the ground, you're going to need someone to help you do that. So that's something you need to consider during your analysis as well. And the market. Uh, if, if a business gets most of its business from three clients and it has a hundred clients, th that, that, that could be a very big problem. If maybe one or two of those clients decide to go elsewhere, uh, that could be a huge risk for you as a business owner, uh, you now owning that, that, that new business. So that's why it's important to kind of have a broker in your corner that can advise you on these types of, of, of concepts. When she also talked about seeking financing, uh, financing, uh, primarily related to the SBA. Uh, they do a lot of deals when it comes to acquiring business. And one of the benefits of the SBA, as I'm sure many of you guys know, is that uh, you can actually acquire a bit, these business and potentially even the real estate for roughly about 10% down. And the amortization periods tend to be a little bit longer, it, primarily, especially if there's real estate involved. If you're just buying the business, amortization periods range in that seven to 10 years. But if a larger proportion of that sales price is real estate, you can actually get some of those amortization periods up to 25 years. So it could be great from a cash flow perspective to be able to utilize the SBA financing. Uh, conventional does offer some benefits as well, which we highlight in the episode as well. And then finally, uh, one of the big lessons we learned is that the transition period, as we said, that's probably one of the biggest risks for people who are buying a business is that you're, you're probably going to be new to the business a lot of times, unless you've, you've, you've done a business before, but if you're brand new to the business, you need training, you need to know, how the organization works, essentially how the sauce is made. Um, and so that's something that, that you need to be able to work out on the, on the front end before you buy that business so, so that maybe the owner sticks around for a month or two or however long to be able to train you. And then also the thing you need to consider is non-disclosure agreements. So for example, if, or non-compete, I'm sorry, it should, should, should be non-compete so that the owner doesn't go out and start a new business that's the exact same as yours and steal all your clients and and potentially steal all your employees as well. So those are some of the things you need to consider if you are in fact looking to buy a business. And this, this can be common 
in particular in the real estate space, I've had clients who, you know, they want to buy a business and there just so happens to be retail real estate involved as well. And so we get looped in with a business broker uh, to kind of handle the real estate side where they handle more of the business side of things. So, okay. So that's, so that's some of the high level uh, lessons that we've learned just from these last, I would say, six or seven speakers. Uh, I kind of wanted to open it up to the rest of the people on the call, just kind of talk a little bit about some of the lessons you learned in 2020 and how can we apply those going forward in 2021. So feel free to chime away. And I'll be checking. Hey, Tony, do you, do you have a, do you have a lesson that you've learned this year? Well, and from the finance standpoint, my name is Tony Riley. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, from the finance standpoint, we've, uh, everybody looks for liquidity. Everybody looks for cash flow. Everybody looks for uh, experience, uh, what the tendencies look like, how strong are the leases, how strong are the tenants. Uh, people may have made comments that, oh, you're underwriting this like a commercial loan, which is very true in this environment. So just make sure that as you're working with uh, a buyer or as you're looking to invest, that you do your due diligence on the cash flow side. Raphael made a good comment that longer amortizations help cash flow, but it also is detrimental to how fast you get into equity. So there is a balance there. Uh, lenders want to be conservative. Yes, we're out to lend money, but no, we're not out to take risk. So just keep that in mind. That's that's probably the single biggest thing that's come out in this whole 2020 year. How, how do you feel? And just more so uh, curiosity's sake, how do you feel about 2021 as far as your lending criteria are concerned? Because I've definitely dealt with banks recently, primarily on investment properties where people are a little bit more conservative on how they underwrite some of those deals. Right. Um you know, we're optimistic. We had a really good 2021 real the retail side, the commercial side retail space uh, is a challenge, but there's been an awful lot of single tenancy industrial type properties that are still very, very strong. Uh, the multi-tenanted strip centers are the ones that are probably the most scrutinized in my opinion right now because of COVID and the inability for those companies to operate. Having said that, there's still a lot of opportunities out there for the right buyer that knows what they're doing if they buy it right. So, we're optimistic this year. We're hoping 2021 with the vaccine settles things down and people get to move around again. That's awesome. Good to hear. Yes, sir. Appreciate that. Anyone, Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Anyone else have any lessons they've learned from 2020 that they think would the, the, the group would gain some value from? Rafael, if I may. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that we're doing and whoever you work with on your financing, um, we, we try to be as consultative as possible. So we're going to help you analyze the deal, make sure that your acquisition can cash flow itself, uh, that you know the ups and downs and the, and the things that we're going to be looking for. So as an investor, you've got a partner in your lender that doesn't cost you anything. Uh, so utilize them. Yeah, I mean, I, I call bankers all the time, you know, try to get a, try to get a feel for what's going on. You know, what, what, are, what are some of the trends they're seeing or, you know, I mean, because again, just because one lender may, may not be able to get the deal done, a lot of times it's, it's a very collaborative type of engagement. So <laughs> That is correct. And a lot of lenders have different appetites for different types of collateral. There are certain industries we don't have expertise in um, mm -hmm. that we just don't, that we hand off to someone else that we know that does that. So if we can't get it done, we should be able to find someone for you that gives you that opportunity. Definitely. Yeah. 
I guess I'll, I'll say one thing about, uh, I guess, 20 going into 2021. I mean, given the fact that we've really been in, in lockdown across the country in various in different months and whatever else, I think it's going to be more important than ever to really have an online presence. So if anything, I guess the big lessons that I would share as far as my experience as being online is really just start producing content virtually like this. I think if you guys can do that uh, wh wherever you are and kind of make, have a, have a tinge of, of, of local content you talked about, but also have a broader national concept as well. I think that could be very beneficial to, to brand. I mean, and brand again is, is everything. Uh, how do you project yourself to the, to the rest of the world? Because that's how you develop trust with your audience. Um, and really that's, that's, I guess, my big piece of advice. Well, we utilize meetup, we utilize uh, YouTube. Uh, we've been pushing a lot of content on LinkedIn as well. Uh, that's also been very beneficial. I, I know a lot of you guys came via LinkedIn. Uh, so uh, again, getting presence on these platforms is going to be ever more imperative uh, going forward. And so that's, I guess, one of the lessons I'd like to share. Facebook real quick. Feel free to chime away if you guys have any. Oh yeah. Tyler. So Tyler's watching on Facebook. Hey Tyler. Uh, he did mention that, that adaptability is something that he's had to learn to deal with because things kind of fall through and you have to learn to be very adaptable, especially in, in a very diverse environment. Mark, did you have something to say? Okay. Well, I guess if, if no one else has anything they want to kind of share, um, I guess we'll call it uh, we'll call it adjourned. I just want to thank everyone who who stopped by. Again, we do produce uh, we, we we have speakers come from all across the nation talk about a lot of different concepts. So if you guys are interested in in checking out some of the previous meetings, or if you guys want to be notified of future meetings where we have people uh, that talk about, like I said, all types of commercial real estate topics. Uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'll be happy to share links with you and whatever else. And I just wish you guys a very happy new year. And uh, I guess we'll see you guys soon. Thank you, Rocco. Of course. We'll see you guys. Thanks, Rocco. Of Thanks. course.